The latest clinical review on the BMJ.com discusses common language and speech disorders in children. I'm Emma Parrish, Editorial Registrar at the BMJ, and I'm joined by two of the authors of the review, Christina McKean, a speech and language therapist and researcher from Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Australia and Newcastle University in the UK, and Angela Morgan, speech pathologist and researcher from Murdoch Children's Research Institute and the University of Melbourne in Australia. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. In this review, you discuss the most common speech and language problems in preschool children. Um, And what would potentially be useful is to talk about what you've done in terms of differentiating between language impairment, speech impairment and disorders of fluency, as you call it, so stuttering or stammering, and why it's really important for clinicians to be aware of those differences. When children present um, to a GP, quite often the parents will um, talk about the child having problems with their speech, Um, but in reality that can be um, their description for a number of different things that might be going wrong for the the child, that the child might be finding difficult. Um, And discriminating between these different uh, types of problems is important in terms of getting the right interventions for the child. Um, So a problem with language, when we talk about a problem with language, we're talking about a child having difficulty either understanding or using words and um, putting them together into sentences. Um, When we're talking about speech, we're talking about how clearly the child's able to uh, pronounce those words and how clearly they're able to articulate the the words that they're trying to say and when we're talking about fluency we're talking about how often the child repeats sounds or or makes um, uh, gets blocked or stuck on sounds in words and depending on um, as I say depending on the type of difficulties the child has um, then the uh, treatment options differ however I would say that we wouldn't necessarily expect a GP or health visitor to necessarily be able to make that distinction between those um, three areas of difficulty um, 100% of the time. Um, it really requires a speech and language therapist to to unpick all of those um, uh, difficulties. But I think being aware of those different patterns and, and knowing what questions to ask of a parent about those different patterns would um, help the practitioner to advise and give um, advice about prognosis, etc. Yeah, so just picking up on that, what kind of questions would be useful for, for a general practitioner or a health visitor if a parent says that they've noticed some difficulties in their speech to kind of get things started? So in the paper, we do have a section talking about the types of questions um, that a general paediatrician or other non-specialist might like to begin with to open up the conversation with parents so it's under tips for non-specialists where we uh, begin to talk about what the nature of the problem is so what types of difficulties the child is having with their communication um, how well the the parent is perhaps under able to understand what the child is saying to them or um, whether or not the child is becoming aware of those problems themselves. So is it frustrating the child? Are they becoming withdrawn or frustrated? Um, because obviously these are some of the key risk factors uh, for when you might want to 
um, think about referring a child to a specialist or speech and language pathologist. Um, there are also questions there looking at the language environment. Are there other languages other than English spoken at home? Family history, because we know that having a family history of speech, language or stuttering um, disorders can, again, increase your risk. Um, hearing does the child have problems with hearing? General development of speech and language. So has the child perhaps always shown delays or difficulties or have these issues been more pronounced in more recent times? Um, looking at the child's current issues and um, social interaction, etc. So we really have um, gone to lengths to provide quite a nice structured case history review, if you like, or series of questions that should help um, to unpick some of the issues we were talking about earlier about whether or not the child um, may be at risk and whether the family should be seeking um, further specialist services. Yeah. So you, you mentioned in the review that normal development of speech and language is, can be variable from child to child and I think you mentioned that speech is usually mastered by the age of eight but we're talking here a bit more about preschool children. So how common are the speech and language um issues that are covered in the review in in preschool children and how early can those be picked up? Certainly um, in preschool children these disorders are seen to be most common and there is always a range uh, given within different studies because different studies use different methodologies uh, and so we certainly in our table have covered um, some of the most uh, scientifically rigorous studies that have been conducted in the field and where possible we've tried to look at studies that take a whole population approach. With children with stuttering, um, the prevalence rates are known to range from around 25 to 11% of the population of preschool children. Um, for those children with speech sound disorder, between about 3 and 6%. Um, and for those children with uh, language disorder between around 8 to 20 percent. So some of the population studies do suggest that as many as one in five children could um, have early language difficulties or language delays. What we're not very good at at the moment is predicting which of those children with early difficulties in a preschool period may go on to have persistent issues and that's where thinking about some of those additional risk factors becomes very important for those long-term um, trajectories or thinking about prognosis for the children and how much their current presenting issues may be a, a problem for them in the future and indeed then when whether or not to refer. Perfect and you, you mentioned there about being aware of the kind of um, high risk issues that might might alert you to the fact that some children go on to develop longer term problems and, and that that can be quite difficult to to pick out but are there any groups of children or situations where they're known to be at higher risk of developing issues with speech and language? Yeah certainly um, in terms of um, there are situations where we would say there's certain signs and symptoms particularly when we're looking at children with language problems where we would suggest that you refer um, instantly because um, these signs are if you like red flags that would make us concerned about the child um, but they, they're not they're for a subgroup of children for whom we probably are thinking that maybe their like speech and language problems are a part of a broader um, difficulty maybe with learning um, or another other developmental difficulties so for example um, if the child um, 
was had poor abilities in understanding language. So if they were um, not able to understand the level of language that you would expect for a child of their age, um, that would be um, something that we would suggest would be a trigger for um, going for specialist assessment with a speech and language therapist, um, certainly and possibly a broader um, developmental specialist team. So if they've got significant problems with understanding if ever there's any sign of regression in the child's language development. So if parents are reporting that children had some words and then they've stopped using them or they started using sentences and then stopped using those sentences, that's uh, certainly a, um, a sign that, again, we would suggest needs following up. Um, and also if there's signs around the child having um, social communication difficulties. So... Um, for example, if the child isn't using pointing when they're, say, 12 to 14 months of age, um, or if they uh, are, are having difficulties with eye contact and those sorts of um, social interaction behaviours, then, again, we would say that we would, um, we would certainly not wait and we would uh, uh, encourage the practitioner to act at that point. If a parent sees that their child's having difficulties with their speech, they'll probably identify them to either the health visitor or, you know, their GP. And and in that situation, as you mentioned, that's really a, a non-specialist in speech and language difficulties. What would be the best thing for them to, to bear in mind when they're assessing that child and when should they be looking at, at referring on as well? Yeah, so if, if, a, if a parent's presenting to a non-specialist with concerns... Um, then we would encourage them to take that full detailed case history that we've um, outlined um, in the paper, um, which will allow them to begin to get a sense of where these difficulties are falling. Are there problems um, with the child's broader developmental profile, for example, or are there more problems with language or more problems with uh, speech or fluency? Um, and then we'd encourage the a practitioner to compare the milestones that the parents uh, and the behaviours that the parents are describing to some of the resources which we um, again point to in the paper. Um, so there's many online resources, some excellent ones from Talking Point, which take um, people through the expected developmental progress for speech and language fluency at different ages. Um, and so if the parents reporting behaviours which look like they're significantly below expectation, um, then um, there are different choices of, of when to refer depending on um, which type of difficulty the practitioner thinks um, the child has. So in the review, you talk a little bit in about the different types of um therapy that would be available for the different types of speech or language um, disorders. I don't know, Angela, if you can talk to us a little bit about some of the evidence behind that and how effective those treatments are. Certainly. Um, thank you, Emma. Yes, it's um, a positive message in that certainly for children with the type of articulatory or individual speech sound disorder um, difficulties as opposed to language which is more about words and sentences. If we're thinking about those children with the speech sound difficulties there is a lot of evidence that we can 
um, create positive change, that the treatment is efficacious for children. And as we say in the paper, we have a lot of evidence that um, the treatments are effective for speech disorder in children after three years of age. But that doesn't mean that we don't know that treatments aren't effective for children under two. It's just that that work hasn't been done yet. Uh, but that's still a positive message. So for children um, from around three years of age onwards, which is typically when children are referred, uh, we can have a positive change there. And similarly for stuttering as well, um, stuttering is one of the areas in which we have a number of um, royal uh, randomised controlled trials that have been conducted showing that treatment is highly efficacious um, for, for managing stuttering. Great. And so that's a, a bit of good news for, for referring on. And I suppose what we would like to talk about now is that are there any real um take-home messages from the from the review so um yeah again there's really positive um evidence um uh, that we've uh, listed in this systematic review that we've um, cited in the paper here that we can make um significant and meaningful gains for children's uh, language outcomes um uh, from three years of age and and into um uh, adolescence we have um uh, uh papers that demonstrate efficacy of, of speech and language therapy interventions. We do have to say, though, that we um, are not necessarily effecting a cure, if you like, for many of the children with language problems. And many children have long-term difficulties and require multiple um, uh, um, episodes of interventions from speech and language therapists over time um, to support their language development. So it, the Therapy is effective in effecting change, but not always in effecting cure, if you like, using medical um, terminology. So many children will have long-term um, uh, needs and, and require long-term support. Just thinking about the fact that, you know, the therapy, there are, there is evidence behind its um, effectiveness in children. There is an issue with people having access always to speech and language therapy or having to wait for appointments. Is there anything that potentially parents or non-specialists can suggest or, you know, do to enhance uh, a child's abilities whilst they're awaiting an appointment? Yeah, in terms of um, children's language development, there's um, the, if a, a parent um, um, is anxious and the, um, practice, the health practitioner wants to give advice, there's lots of excellent resources, again, which we point to in our um, paper that parents can be pointed to to give them support and ideas of how to promote children's language um, development, speech and language development. Um, um, and there's lots of the third sector organisations like the Communication Trust and the charity ICANN are doing a wonderful job in promoting those messages in the UK. Um, also, we would, in the preschool years, always recommend supporting a family to access high quality uh, preschool um, provision um, uh, parent-child play and parent-child um, uh, play groups and uh, nursery places would be um, uh, uh, the, uh, the first point of call for getting support for the family. Um, yes, and also I would suggest that the local practitioners get to know what the local pathways are. In many local authorities and speech and language therapy services in the UK um, are working closely together to ensure that in the preschool years there's high quality provision that's often supported by speech and language therapists 
um, and where nursery staff are highly trained in promoting children's language and communication development. So we suggest they get to know what the provision is that's out there for families in their local area that they can signpost families to. Great. And just generally uh, taking some some messages away from this uh, clinical review for people um, who may not be uh, sorry as familiar with with speech and language difficulties. What are the real important take home messages from the, from the review? Okay, I think for me, I would say that the main messages are that um, speech, language, and uh, stuttering um, impairments. They're very, very common in childhood and so primary care practitioners really do need to make sure that they're aware of them and um, feel able to recognise um, them when they present at clinic. Um, but And also to be aware that if um, these children are not supported, then there are significant long-term consequences for children if, if their um, difficulties aren't appropriately managed. Um, but also that the... Um, effective interventions are available so there is good news and that um, support with the right support children can uh, make excellent progress. You've been listening to Christina McCain and Angela Morgan talking about their review Identifying and Managing Common Childhood Language and Speech Impairments which is now available on the bmj.com. <laughs>